Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Big Girls Don't Crime with your hosts Sophie and Kate. This week we are going to be focusing on the Atlanta child murders that took place between 1979 and 1981. Uh, there are several murders that we're going to be discussing, so we probably are going to have to split it up into a few episodes, but we look forward to sharing these stories with you. So Kate, you want to kick us off? Yeah. So also, I feel like I should give you like a fair word of warning that this is I mean, I watch and listen and read true crime all the time. And this is one of those cases that like literally made me cry. Like it's so horrible and so sad. So everyone just get ready. And obviously, we're going to be talking about murders of children. So if it's a trigger warning for you, shut it off. This is just a word of warning. Okay. So as Sophie said, we're talking about the Atlanta child murders, and they happened between July 1979 to May 1981, and at least 28 people in the Atlanta area were kidnapped and murdered, Um, and it consisted mostly of young black boys and teenagers from low-income communities, and to this day, no one has been charged for any of the children's murders. Just as a little background, what was going on in the city at this time, Atlanta in the 1970s and 80s saw an explosion of its population. Uh, There was a lot of people kind of moving into this area um, and it was rapidly growing into the big metropolitan area that you know Atlanta to be. So in 1973, Atlanta votes in its first black mayor and he reforms the police and makes the force more brown. In 1978, Lee Brown becomes the commissioner of public safety and George Knapper becomes the chief of police. During the 70s, Atlanta was experiencing roughly 240 murders per year. Is that high? I don't really... That- I mean, it's, I think it's... I mean, it's trying to say that, like, it was... Like, there were some murders, but then, like, when you get into what was happening with the child murders, it's like, holy shit. Okay. I also want to say that because... So, we're talking about literally 28 people that I've split it up <laughs> into... So, we're talking about some of the murders today and some of them next class... Or not next class... <laughs> <laughs> talking about I'm not well talking about some of them next week but I want to make sure that each person gets a little bit of time because I mean no one really knows about these murders I feel but anyway okay so in South Atlanta on July 28 1979 someone was looking for aluminum cans on Nisky Lake Road which was like a pretty remote road and they come across a decomposing body So the person calls the police and the police decided they should do a concentric search of the area. And within a few minutes, they find another body about 150 feet away from the first. And one of the bodies had been shot in the upper back and the other had been strangled. The body that was strangled was identified as Alfred Evans, a 13 year old black boy who was last seen leaving a kung fu movie. And when he was found, he was missing his shirt and shoes and a $1 bill was found in his pocket. And according to one account, it took a year before his body was identified. Holy shit. Yeah. And why a year? I don't know. That was just one, like one account. So I don't know how true that was. I just read it one place. So I just wanted to add it in in case it was true. Yeah. So then the body that was shot was identified as Edward Hope Smith, a 14-year-old black boy who was last seen on his way home from a skating rink. They determined he had been shot with a 22 and the pockets of his pants were turned inside out. So this part literally breaks my heart. The police wrote off their deaths as being drug-related and, like, really didn't give them any attention at all. It later comes to be known that the boys disappeared just five days apart from one another, and these are known as being, like, the first of the Atlanta child murders. Did it say anywhere why... 
the police like was there any explanation that maybe we could be like okay fine like they either found drugs or like some sort of indication that there maybe it was drug related or was it entirely just racially biased no it was like entirely just like racially profiled or yeah and then like also they were come from like really like low income communities and like housing projects so the police kind of were just like eh sucks you know (sighs) yep i do know unfortunately and it gets even worse so just like hold on okay great then, in October 1979, Melton Harvey disappeared while riding his bike a few miles away from his home, and a month later, on November 5th, 1979, the 14-year-old boy was found, and his body was too decomposed for a cause of death to be determined. Whoa. A month later? That's fast decomposition. I know. I know. But it must be, maybe because, like, Atlanta is so humid. Maybe. Yeah, but in, not in November. Girl, I'm from Texas. Well, it's going to come back like the way the police have handled it. So just hold your horses. Okay. 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 Yeah. Keep going. Sorry. Also in November, nine-year-old Yusuf Bell's body was found stuffed in a crawl space in an abandoned school, which was like boarded up. And it was four blocks away from his home. And he was strangled. um, And his feet were washed. So the police thought it could have been like a religious ceremony in which he died. Like he was kidnapped for some sort of like religious ritual. Um, and he was known around the neighborhood as being a really smart kid, and the adults would ask him to help him ba- to help balance their checkbooks, and he wanted to be a gymnast. Wait, you're kidding? No, that's so sad. This whole this whole thing is so sad. And he was nine. A nine year old that could balance your checkbook. Isn't that so cute? I can't even balance my checkbooks, and I work in finance. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I know. That's so sad. Okay. And he wanted to be a gymnast. I know. The pictures are so, like, I don't know. This is just such a horrible, horrible thing. And the way that some of, like, in some of the documentaries I watched, the way that they would describe the way the bodies were found was literally, like, disgusting. Like, horrible. Like, the bodies were just, like, thrown away. I don't want to know. Like, they were kids. It's horrible. Um, okay, so then on March 10th, 1980, the first young black girl's body is discovered, and it's 12-year-old Angel Lanier, or Lanier. I think it's Lanier. That's what it sounded like in the documentary. So Angel had a dream that something bad was actually going to happen to her and, mm. like, wouldn't tell her mom about it. She was just, like, acting weird, and apparently she had a dream about it. So Angel and her mother had recently moved to Atlanta from Chicago and on March 4th 1980 Angel was late coming home from school and at 6 p.m. her mother Venus called the police and the police told her mother she had probably just run away and the police refused to classify Angel a crime victim so the news wouldn't run her picture and her mother made such a fuss at the police station about this that they threatened to put her in jail. I fucking hate when they just assume that it's a runaway. It's not just a runaway. I know, and it's she's, she's 12. 12. What is she, where is she going to run away to? Sir. She's fucking 12. I know. Okay. So six days later, after her mother tried to report her missing, the police knocked on her door and told her that Angel's body had been found, and she'd been raped, strangled, and tied to a tree, and she had severe lacerations around her neck. And Angel was the fifth child to go missing and found murdered within seven months. So then I was like watching the ID Discovery like documentary about this or whatever. And there was literally a headline in the news that like they showed and it said, who is killing the ghetto black kids? Like that was like a legitimate news headline. This case is just making me fucking angry, like more so than any other case. 
I know. That's what I said. This case, like, wait, did you, have you seen Mindhunter? No, not yet. I've been meaning to watch it, though. They talk about this case in the second season. And, like, I don't know. I don't know. I, like, I don't know what my point was about that. Oh, okay. It'll, I think I'll bring it up in a second. So. Police keep saying that these crimes are not connected. Seems a little stupid to say that, but... Um, but rumors are flying around the black communities that the KKK is responsible for the killings or that the police... Atlanta was apparently the headquarters for the KKK. Ugh. I don't know if that's, like, now is the case, too, or if that was just back then. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I didn't really want to give the KKK a little Google search. Like, I didn't want to give it to them, you know? Yeah. Don't give them the fucking time of yeah. day or the credit. Yeah, the, exactly. I didn't want to do the it. The extra ping on their website. Fucking assholes. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. I'm so mad. A day after Angel's body was found, 11-year-old Jeffrey Mathis goes missing, and his body isn't found for almost a year after he goes missing in February of 1981. He was last seen one block away from his home going to the store to buy his mother's cigarettes. Oh, my God. Imagine being that mother. You send your fucking son out to buy cigarettes for you. I can't imagine the hell that she is putting herself through every day. I know. But also it probably that probably happened all the time. Like she probably had him go do that all the time. And then it just All the time, yeah, I know. But can you just imagine like in Ugh. at this day, like in this day and age? Like, if you think about it too though, like since the police and like wasn't really cooperating with the news media, so the news media really wasn't reporting on this at all because it was like low income black kids, maybe she didn't even know that it was happening. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, that's true. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, good point. That's so true. So a witness said that they saw Jeffrey getting into a blue car. The next child to go missing was 15-year-old Eric Middlebrooks on May 18, 1980. He was found beaten to death and lying on his back and had injuries to his neck and three superficial stab wounds to his breastplate and significant injuries to his head. The shoes he was wearing had fibers on the lip of his shoe. And the fibers were sent to the Georgia Investigation Crime Lab. And the police later identified him through his school. Additionally, in May, the first meeting of the Committee to Stop Children's Murders was held. And this crea- was created by Camille? Camille? Like Camille. I don't Camille. know how to oh. Camille. Jesus Christ. Okay. Created by Camille Bell, who was Yousef's mother. Willie Mae Mathis, who is Jeffrey's mother, and Venus Taylor, who is Angel's mother. And the whole point of this was they wanted to try to force the police to investigate the crimes and the assumed connections between them. So wait, what I was going to say, why I brought up Mindhunter, and I should have just brought it up now, but in Mindhunter, it was like this weird thing where they... Like, I don't think this is true, but some they wanted to get, like, the FBI kind of in the case or whatever, like, in Mindhunter to show that the FBI was really trying, even though they didn't for, like, a little while after. But basically, in the in Mindhunter, they did it where, like, the mothers kind of, like, bombarded the FBI agent and just, like, harassed him to, like, investigate the murders. And then he felt, like, so bad for the moms that he decided to do that. But that, like, wasn't the case. Like IRL, you know, they just like tried to make him look like a little bit better. That was like my point was to be like, stop. Oh, well, classic (laughs) propaganda. Well, if you've seen Mindhunters, don't fucking believe it. We're giving you the facts. 
Twelve-year-old Christopher Richardson was the next boy to disappear. He was going to the swimming pool with his brothers, and he was... So, like, I watched this in the Investigation Discovery documentary. So his mom said that, like, he was going to the swimming pool with his brothers, and he came down the stairs in, like, a really nice shirt, kind of like a church shirt, to go to the pool. And she was like, mm-hmm. no, like, you can't wear that to go to a pool. Like, go and change. And him and his mom, like, kind of just got into, like, a little argument about, like, wearing the shirt. And so she let the other two brothers go. And then tried to get him to change his shirt, but he wouldn't. So she ended up being like, oh, whatever, just go to the pool, like, in that shirt. And so he left the house after the brothers, and then he never made it to the pool. And then when the two brothers came home, the mom was like, where is Christopher? And they were like, we don't know. Like, he never came to the pool. I hate when it's like... This is kind of a tangent, but there was this one case that I listened to on Crime Junkies, and there was this one tent out of, like, 12 in the 80s or something, maybe the 70s, and everyone in the tent died. But there was this little girl had, like, begged her mom to let her go, and the mom didn't want her to go because she knew that the girl would try to back out of going because she would get really homesick. And so the day before, she, like, finally agrees, and then the day before the daughter's supposed to leave, she, like, for some reason had this just more so than just a homesick feeling, just like this innate anxiety about going and the mom forced her to go. And there in the podcast, they talked all about how like the mom just basically will never forgive herself for like just wishing she had just listened to her daughter and like, Oh my God. So I feel so fucking bad. I know it's different, but like, I just feel so bad when it's things like little fights that, at the time, like, I totally get being, like, you don't need to wear a nice shirt to the pool. You're going to ruin it. Like, I totally get it. But it's so heartbreaking when it's, like, that was the difference between life or death maybe for this kid. And, like, that's what's so heartbreaking is you know that the parents just, even though it's not their fault at all, like, you know that they are going to spend every single day for the rest of their lives just completely beating themselves up and wondering what if I had just said, fuck it, who cares, wear your dumb shirt to the pool. And I feel like a lot of this, well, I mean, it was also the 80s too, and I guess, so like whatever, but I like, you know, it's a lot different then than it is now, but so much of like these kids going missing has been like the parents, like not even the parents, it's just been the kids like out hanging out without like any supervision which is so weird for us to think about now so weird i mean my parents like my mom to this day still tracks me on find my friends so i can't imagine not knowing where kids are at all times oh if i had a child they would be on like find my friends life 360 i'd have all their friends on it sometimes i try to think about it and i'm like i like those tv shows where they're like the parents i don't even there was one disney show maybe it was iCarly. And, like, Freddie's mom had a chip in Freddie so she could always track him. And I remember when I was a kid watching it, I was like, that's so crazy. And then now that I'm, like, an adult and just even after going through these cases and stuff, when I'm an adult, like, or whatever, a mom and I have a kid, like, if I can put a chip in my child, absolutely I'm going to. And also it's not even – I wouldn't even be like – it's not like I don't trust you. It's not like I don't trust other people to not snatch you. I don't trust other people. That's what my parents have yeah. always said to me. They always say, I don't want you going and it's not because I don't trust you. It's because I don't trust other people. Because other people are weird and you can't trust anyone. And fucked up. People are so – be rude, be weird, be – stay safe. Crime Junkie 101. I need to stop quoting them because they're going to be like, you're actually just appropriating our show. I know. And I'm going to be like, it's, it's, I'm not trying to. You're, we're going to get sued. 
it's literally just that I love their show. Like it's more of like a, a fan. This is like a fan podcast. <laughs> we should have just done it where we listen to crime junkie episodes and then, then just like um, pick apart what we thought about them. Oh my God. We should do a sub. We'll do a spinoff. Yeah, we can do if a spinoff. If this gets enough views or if it doesn't get any, if it gets so many, we'll do a spinoff. And if it doesn't get any, we'll do, we'll just switch over. <laughs> no matter what we'll do a spinoff. Um, I, you know, we can check on Spotify though. How many listeners we had? How did we, how many did we have for our first episode? I don't know. I'll check right now. I'm scared. Oh God. Me it's going to be like a solid three. And I think I'm Stop. two of them. I re-listened to it the other day. I didn't listen to it. I didn't no, listen to it. I did. I hope it's more than three. Well, we didn't get... <laughs> it is... Okay, so the second episode wasn't that good. I think we should have done, like, a little bit more um, marketing, maybe? Advertising, like, yeah. Well, yeah. next time. How many did we get on the first? Um, Purvis Pain Part 1 got 34 <gasps> starts. Oh. <laughs> okay. How many finishes? 21 streams. Okay. And 25 listeners. I don't know what any of that means. Yeah, what the, what's the difference between any of those? Okay, well, if you were one of our 21 streamers who made it all the way through the end, gold star for you. Whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, where I feel like I'm doing this mostly for me and you, then I'm doing it for, like, even if no one else listens. Yeah, right? Like, we're just having fun. And it gives us a good excuse to talk weekly. Yeah, good point. Catch up. But then part two didn't do that great. How many? How many is not that great? <laughs> I don't want to tell it on the end. Is it five? No. Is it four? It's four. That's a bad turnaround. Well, yeah. Hopefully this one will Dreams be better. Dreams was four. Okay, back to the episode, though. So June 22nd, 1980, six-year-old Latanya Wilson was abducted from her bedroom while she, like, while she was sleeping and while her family slept, and her body wouldn't be found until October of 1980. However, and so in the investigation discovery thing that I watched, the one of the, like, chief police or I don't even know, like, a police detective or something, I don't know, he was saying that, like, this was the case that kind of made the public, like, more like freaked out and like wary of what was happening because they were like if this little girl could be abducted from her home like yeah something is wrong like you know what i mean like there's something going on yeah yeah that's scarier like it's different when it's like oh it's not gonna happen to me because i don't let my kids like go out and roam or like i'm being cautious but when it's like someone's actually breaking and entering into your home and stealing your kids in the middle night like that's when it becomes Mm -hmm. so sinister that it's hard to ignore exactly exactly so then 10-year-old Aaron Weechi. So the Weechi, I think. So this is also weird too is that like some of the articles I would read they wouldn't mention all the kids names. The, the documentaries wouldn't mention all the kids names. So I had to like Google a full comprehensive list and then just kind of base it on that. So that's why some kids have more information and some don't. Yeah, okay. Which is a whole nother can of worms. But anyway, so Aaron Weechi would also be found in June. He was found on June 23rd, 1980. And the police ruled his death at first as an accident, saying that he like fell from a railway like trestle, I think, which I have no idea what that is, but something. No clue. But his mother said, I think it was like high up. And his mother said he was like really afraid of heights and he wouldn't have climbed up there unless someone was chasing him or he was like running away from something. So spooky. Yeah, really spooky. Yeah. 
So by the end of June 1980, 10 children had disappeared since July of the previous year, and three of those children were still missing. So the commissioner, Lee Brown, kept saying it wasn't a... I can't even fucking finish that sentence without, like, being annoyed. I thought you were going to be like, did you make a typo? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the commissioner, Lee Brown, kept saying that it wasn't unusual and that it wasn't weird, and he concluded that they weren't connected, which really seems highly improbable to me. Highly unlikely. Also, before we move on, Lee Brown, police commissioner, Atlanta. Oh, do you know that he was the mayor of Houston, Lee Brown? in 1997 but anyway he is brown like he is a he is a black person they have a a black mayor and a black commissioner so like they're trying to be like yeah but okay i think though and i mean i don't really know how it works but i imagine that the first black mayor and the first black commissioner there was probably a decent amount of pressure vertical pressure on those people to like not I don't know, like, if you're the first person of color in a position of power, especially during this time, like, during the 80s when stuff was pretty, I guess, like, wasn't very progressive or as, I don't even want to say, like, advanced as it is now, but... Oh, and the police chief was black, too. Yeah, so, but I think, though, they probably definitely had a lot of people that were trying, that were, like, they were definitely trying to probably please and, like, do a good job as the first black people in these positions, and so they were probably, like, under a lot of pressure from other people to just, like... And, like, bureaucratic stuff, too. Yeah, I think it was all just, like, the bureaucratic bullshit, and they were probably just trying, like, their best to find a balance between like serving the community but also like ensuring that they were paving a way for future people of color to have access to those positions instead of just like going so hard on like uh, we need to help them which like obviously we want them to do but they were probably concerned that it would lead to backlash and like set them back they were like worried about like tourism and like people moving to atlanta and like making atlanta seem like an unsafe place i don't have want to respond to that I don't even know how to. The whole thing is just a disaster. Oh my god, wait, now I'm scared because I just read ahead and I didn't like it. Oh god, you read it. I just saw so many scary, like, buzzwords. On July 7th, 1980, nine-year-old Anthony Carter's body was found and he had been stabbed in the back and the chest and he was tossed in a dumpster. Anthony was raised by his grandmother, but she decided he could go and live with his mother in Atlanta to be closer to her and his cousins. So on July 6, 1980, the children who lived in the Harris homes where Anthony lived were playing hide and seek and Anthony was the one counting and then all the children went to go hide and he went around the building to go look and he never came back. So the other children said that they saw the cotton candy man around where they were playing hide and go seek and then the cotton candy man disappeared right when Anthony disappeared. Who the fuck is the cotton candy man? Some man, I guess, that sold cotton candy in the neighborhood. That's like terrifying as a concept like i get the ice cream man like when you're like oh the ice cream man like the creepy tales about the ice cream man that's like creepy but the cotton something about the cotton candy man makes me actually want to hurl like that's so fucking creepy right i also just don't like that like word yeah i don't either oh my god i know Um, On July 17th, Lee Brown finally announced the formation of a task force, finally, and creates a tally, finally, of all possible connected, parentheses, finally, murders. Finally. It took one year since the first bodies were found for the police to think 
that there might be a connection. <laughs> I love your little notes, like just reading them. I most of the time, like um, I paraphrase what Kate writes. Rephrase them. Yeah, or rephrase them because Kate includes like it's just so funny because it's basically like I'm reading her train of thought. But anyways, so the task force was made up of federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies, and it was the largest task force in the United States history, and it consisted of 400 officers. Wow, okay. At least it sounds like they're getting their shit together, finally. I I don't know about that. I don't know. Like, this whole case is just bizarre. Like, I genuinely don't know why it was so difficult. Well, I guess we'll find out more. Well, I want you to, okay, so I want you to read this next thing, and then I have a question to ask you. Okay, well, I'm just going to start by saying it sounds from Kate's response just then that there's going to be more that unravels in next week's episode. So, I guess if you're feeling good. Well, the whole thing is just so weird. Like, if you are just confused and you like conspiracy theories, maybe this is a good episode for you to listen to. Yeah. Well, I'm... Okay, so you could hear that cop siren in my feed, but whatever. Um, (laughs) It's Libra. Literally, it could be. I'm in Houston. Like, there's a chance. Okay. Okay, so I'm just going to have to try again. (laughs) You got it. You got it. Take three. (laughs) Yusuf's mother, Camille, said, quote, It takes a lot to get people concerned about a child out of the ghettos. The feeling of the middle-class cops and bureaucrats tend to be is that these people don't care about their children, so why should I? But a lot of these ghetto people care deeply. Their kids are about the only things they have in the world, end quote. That's so fucking sad. I know. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So what do you think happened? Because, like, we have more murders to get through next week. But I just wanted to stop when the task force formed. But I want to ask you what your opinion is and, like, what you think happened. I feel like there's not even enough. Like, I feel like this wasn't even a case really where I could form an opinion because it was just, like, all of these, like, I meant to say fact sheet. And I said some sheet. Oh, my God. I'm embarrassed. Okay. So I feel like we just like rattled off a lot of cases with just like facts, but there wasn't any, like it was mostly just like how the kid went missing and some of them, the state in which they were found, but I don't know. So what I was going to say is based off of what we do know, looking at all of these cases, the only shared trait between them all is their race, which because there's differences in gender, differences in age I guess also the other commonality is like socioeconomic status but that could just be like a coinky yeah not even a coincidence but it I think it could just be at the time in Atlanta like probably a lot of the lower income people were black so it's like a correlation more than like a, a motivation maybe so like maybe they were targeting black people and just at that time in Atlanta, like the majority of the black population was lower income or they were targeting lower income. And at that time, the majority of the lower income people were black. But I'm probably going to assume based just off of the fact that I don't know why or how you could kill a nine-year-old or a six-year-old child just in cold blood. So I'm assuming that it had to be fueled by something that was like probably racially geared. As opposed to, because I don't know who would like care enough to just mm-hmm. 
go after like low income people for the sake of it. So I think probably it was racially. I mean, obviously, like that's the big conclusion from this case is that it had to do with race. But I think in terms of who did it, no idea. If it was the KKK, I don't know. Okay. Are you ready to play a little game? Oh, okay. POV were FBI profilers. Go. Oh my God. I love this game, actually. Okay. So go. What do you th- like? If let's say there's one killer, give me the profile. Okay. Honestly, based off of, so this is entirely based off of my knowledge from Criminal Minds. <laughs> I love you, Spencer Reed. Matthew Gray Goobler. I'm literally madly in love with you. If you ever listen to this, I literally am in love with you. <laughs> okay. I would probably think based off of the places, the way, like, so I think a lot of the places that the kids were found seemed to me, like, if there was someone, okay, so, like, one kid we said was found outside of a movie, one kid was found near a skating rink, one was, like, found near an abandoned school, um... Kids weren't found near those places. They were leaving those places when they were snatched. So they were found on that remote road. Okay, yeah, but sorry. So that's that's what I'm saying, though. I think if, like, I feel like for the most part, those places seem to be something that I would typically associate with, like, a younger crowd. So I would think, based off of, like, where these kids went missing and that they were racially skewed and the fact that, like, these kids were just kind of, like, left for dirt basically I would assume that it's like a man in his early 20s who's white obviously okay probably is a little bit of a loner and has just recently been introduced to white supremacist or Nazi affiliations okay um turned to them most likely because he was an outcast and didn't really fit in with a lot of the kids at his school Um, And so he turned to these extremist groups because they're really good at kind of creating a sense of belonging through their members. And so I feel like he maybe was an affiliate with some extremist group. Not necessarily that he was doing it on behalf of the group, but I think that's where his radicalization probably started. Okay. How did I do? Oh, Jonathan's roommate just got home. Is this the crime one? Yeah, you want to say hi for the people? To our four listeners. We have four listeners. It's live? No. No. That's even worse. It'd be better if it was live and we only had four. Just say hi into the mic. Hello. Hi. It's my friend Kate. Um, Go Crime Podcast. Yeah, go listen to it. Be our fifth listener. How did I do, Kate? How did I do? Okay, no. Tell me what the FBI profile was. The FBI profile on this man. This I So... It was, like, done by John Douglas and Roy Hazelwood. And their profile said that the murderer was probably a black man because he was moving in and out of these neighborhoods, like, without really causing any, like, question. That's so smart. I'm so dumb. So they thought it was a black man because, like, if it was a white man, obviously people would notice and be like, what? He would stick out. Yeah. Then... So then the A like the Atlanta PD was like, no, it has to be a like a black it has to be a white man because mostly serial killers are white males. And they were like, no, he's black because 
Like, he can't be moving in and out of these neighborhoods without blending in. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Because that's what I was trying to... Wait, that's what I was trying to say about, like, the movie theater and the skating rink. Like, you would be able to pick out someone that doesn't really belong if it was an old man that's on his own. So that's why I said it has to be someone young that would fit into those crowds. And I didn't even think of the race part. Damn it, I'm so mad at myself. So also, I don't know if this was true or not, but in Mindhunter, the guy who's like based on John Douglas does like a um an experiment and he has a white man go into like a like a low-income black community and like try to give kids work to be like, "Oh, come with me and see if the kids will go with him." And none of them went with him. And then he did it with like a black man and they all went with him. Damn. So then the the guy was like oh it has to be a black man then because like these kids are not doing anything like I don't know if this actually happened in real life but this happened in Mindhunter and I thought that was like a really interesting little experiment that he yeah did. and like I never would have thought of that so I probably shouldn't be an FBI profiler however the rest of the profile was that he was a single male he lives with his parents he's highly educated and he's 23 to 25 years old okay wait so the only thing I got right was basically that he was a man and that he was early 20s yeah I was picturing I was proud of you for the early 20s though I didn't have any really educational preference I didn't really think about it but I probably would have said if you had asked not highly educated and they also said he was like an ambulance chaser that's a word they use I have no idea what that means to be honest but basically an ambulance chaser is that they like watch the media like they know about the media so, like, remember that. Like, you know what I mean? They, like, are paying attention to the media. So maybe maybe these didn't have anything to do with Reese. Well, just wait. Because, like, it's just, it's, it's a, like, a conspiracy. Remember I told you? Like, the whole thing is just kind of, like, a conspiracy theory. Yeah. Because, like, okay. but they, no, I don't want to say this while we're recording. So oh, yeah, and to this recording. day, no one has been charged. Yeah. Okay, wait. So, well, hold yeah, on. Let me just do, our do sign the off and then close out. We are going to pause on that. We've given you some facts about the early cases and victims we've given you a overview of the profile that was provided by the behavioral analysis unit or the fbi i don't know if the bau was a thing at the time no it was it it just started okay so it had just started so we've given you the profile of the um unsub um we've told you i guess that's pretty much it right yeah so we've told you well we told you about the murders, we told you about how the police were behaving, and we're telling you about the murders before the task force was formed. So next episode, we're going to tell you about the murders after the task force was formed, and we're going to basically, I think, try to end on what happens. And then I think the third episode is going to be like a little conspiracy theory. Well, actually, like the end of next episode is going to be conspiracy theory too, so I don't even fucking know. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. Make sure you guys actually tune in next week. Um, if you are one of the four returners, you guys are loyal as hell. And if you are one of the and we love the, you, um, seventeen people that listened to the whole first episode and didn't return, I guess we have to say like, good for you for getting through the first one. Next time, try to stick with us through the second. We're trying, and we're gonna get better as they go. And if you were one of the fourteen people that started our podcast and didn't finish streaming, well. You suck. <laughs> and that's all. <laughs> and that's that's all for today. And that's the tea. So thanks so much. All right. See you next week. Bye.